We'll look back at the year that was for the Vancouver Canucks, and we'll look ahead to what's next in the new year. It's a special holiday edition of the Canucks Hour here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined once again, as always, by my co-host, Canucks insider, Thomas Dranch. You can also read Drancer's work covering the team at The Athletic. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Drancer, how's it going, buddy? Going well. Happy holidays, Jamie, and a, a Merry Brucemas to all who celebrate. Absolutely. Um, really excited to be doing a holiday special episode of the Canucks Hour. Yeah, absolutely. I am as well. And with, you know, the NHL season on temporary pause, it gives us a moment to kind of catch our breath and look back, not just at the, you know, the recent last couple of months for the Vancouver Canucks, which have been extraordinarily eventful in their own in their own right, but to look all the way back at the calendar year of 2021. And we'll go through it kind of step by step here in this first segment, Drancer. The thing that jumps out to me, and I know, you know, a lot of people will look back and certainly through the first 11 months of 2021, there was so much frustration, so much, so much anxiety uh, for both the team and fans following the team. And then obviously that turns around towards the end of the year. But the thing that just jumps out to me more than anything else is so much happened this year. Good, bad, somewhere in between. This was an extraordinarily eventful season for the Vancouver, eventful year, excuse me, for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, yeah, it felt like a watershed year for the franchise. I mean, not only has the club changed direction after the second longest GM tenure, right, in, in franchise history uh, toward the tail end of this calendar year, but when you when you consider January 2021 and, and what we were talking about in the lead up to this season you know, this Canucks team entered the year with hopes that they'd continue, maintain that momentum from the bubble, right? The Nate Schmidt acquisition, uh, Travis Hamannick, like yeah. this team had finally broken through and to consider everything that's happened since, as we'll do, and, and how we get to the point where, in fact, fans are hopeful again, but because the club has changed direction fundamentally, key leaders have been brought in to sort of get the club back on track just speaks to what an eventful uh, what a dizzying last 12 months this has been yeah and the path from you know January 2021 to where we are now December the end of the year of 2021 it was as we said eventful bumpy ultimately leading to a lot of optimism but let's go back to the beginning of the year where you know training camps in the the bizarro covid year of the NHL that was the 2021 season technically i believe they still called it the 2020 2021 season but it opens in january and as you said with a a substantially remade roster from the team that had the success in the playoff bubble in Edmonton. And, you know, you, you mentioned Nate Schmidt, Travis Hamannick, obviously the people who had left the team equally as notable, right? Chris Tanev, Jacob Markstrom, Tyler Toffoli. And I think the thing that I will always remember looking back at the beginning of that season was how quickly it started to go downhill and, and just the manner that it did. The incredible breakdowns on defense that we saw over and over and over again early in that season from the Canucks. Yeah, I mean it was 7 goals against every night. Yeah. And <laughs> it was it was something, right? I mean it really was uh, an incredible 
way to begin the year where the club was just getting absolutely lit up, feasted upon night after night after night. And, you know, we saw Holtby and Demko sort of split duties through that first month of the season. It was an incredibly dense schedule. Like the Canucks had the densest schedule on the front end in the league. They were like three, four games ahead of most teams by the end of January. And, you know, it showed like the seams were everywhere. And, And for me, that whole period where, you know, they only really beat the Ottawa Senators and uh, things really were coming apart quickly, um, you know, were, was punctuated by the Tyler Toffoli just absolute dominance. I mean, he almost had back-to-back hat tricks. Um, you know, he was over a goal per game against the against Vancouver over the course of a, of a three-game set in, in Vancouver. I mean, he was well over. He was at like six goals <laughs> over yep. the course of those three games. But he scored a hat trick, and then the next night, he comes out onto Rogers Arena, tarps around, empty building, and he has two, and then Demko robs him on a gimme, like not a gimme chance, but a high-quality five-alarm scoring chance. It's a good shot by Toffoli. It's a better glove save by Demko, and that prevents him from having back-to-back hat tricks against his former team and his reaction of disappointment, right? Like Toffoli's reaction to not getting that second hat trick is like one of the burning images of that 2021 season for me because you know he loudly swears he's like genuinely upset and it's like man you've got five goals in a 48 hour span and your team is winning by four you know like this reaction is is wild but he wanted to do it and he wanted to do it so badly against his former team and it just spoke volumes about how he'd felt uh, in leaving the club, right? And and that to me was this, you know, big sign that, oh boy, like there's there's something really upsetting, really toxic going on here in terms of the dynamic uh, within this team and, and from the players who departed it during free agency last fall. Yeah, and as you said, you know, that was the kind of first salvo in what would become the theme of the season for the Vancouver Canucks, that three-game set at home, although obviously not in front of fans, at Rogers Arena, where Tyler Toffoli lights them up. And, and just looking back at their schedule after that, you know, they get to play the Ottawa Senators for three games in a row, dominate them, win three in a row. Then they go on the road and beat the Jets 4-1. And, and you kind of, okay, hey, they're Best back. performance of the season. Yeah, best performance of the season. They, they've eliminated a lot of those scoring chances against. And then it's the continuation of that road trip where the wheels kind of come off, right? They give up six again to Montreal, five against Montreal, seven against Toronto, five against Toronto. And it just felt like at that point, it almost, with the abbreviated schedule, you know, not that they were dead and buried at that point, but you just never had any confidence that they were going to be able to improve those results and really turn things around. And well, yeah, go ahead, Jamie, don't forget, don't forget, because a really important part of this from, you know, beyond the results, like what it felt like to live it, what it felt like for Canucks fans living it, it was after the games in Toronto that the club returns and post media runs the, the we ran out of time quote in regards to Tyler Toffoli, right? We ran out of time. And at that point too, it really felt like, Oh, there's another shoe that's got to drop here. Like this is not sustainable in terms of the level of confidence that the public has in the direction of this franchise. And that for me, you know, the results obviously amplified it, but for me, it was that moment where all of a sudden 
fans, media, like the, the volume around the team, the scrutiny of team management hit a totally different fever pitch. And it became clear at that point, And I think in retrospect, even, even ownership would accept this. Like it became clear at that point that change did need to happen, even though it didn't for another 11 months. Yeah. And that was right in that time period where there was such a fever pitch around the team. And eventually the owner in February of 2021, you know, comes out and issues a statement on Twitter in support of general manager Jim Benning at the time. But until that step was taken, there was the real kind of overriding sense that change could be coming to the Canucks a lot earlier than it ended up happening. That was kind of the the team-wide perspective of things going on, you know, in the early part of that 2021 season. Just to drill down at kind of an individual level, you know, the team is off to a tough start, giving up goals left, right, and center. Then you also look, and Elias Pettersson had a slow start to the year. You know, Quinn Hughes had a down season, struggled defensively uh, in a lot of respects for much of the year. You know, the Nate Schmidt addition wasn't panning out like the Canucks wanted it to. Braden Holtby wasn't giving them the same type of performances they were expecting. So it was, you know, not only were you watching Tyler Toffoli light it up against the team that he had walked away from in free agency, but a lot of the pieces that you were counting on to improve the team's performance, whether it was by taking a step forward in guys like Elias Pettersson or Quinn Hughes, or by bringing in outside help like Nate Schmidt and Braden Holtby, they weren't living up to that billing either. Yeah, and and further down the lineup, right? The club had pinned their hopes as well on guys like Chatfield and Yolevi, um, you know, and Brogan Rafferty being ready to form a third pair, and and that didn't come to pass. Uh, up front, too, uh, Jake Vertanen and Adam Gaudet, massively disappointing for the Canucks throughout the season, and and of course uh, left the organization that year. So you know, there was just a sense that the club didn't have enough. And and more than that, too, a sense, I think, that the club wasn't really trying to win, that that the financial stress of the pandemic had caused um, the organization to shrink massively on the business side, that after running a top 10 payroll every year for, you know, basically the entirety of the Aquilini era uh, of Canucks ownership, the, the club was in the bottom 10 in league spend. Um, you know, the seams just showed everywhere as the Canucks tried to keep the lights on rather than build on the success of the bubble. And and I think it was dispiriting. Uh, I think it became its own momentum that sort of sunk the club early. And then it just became sort of a, an act of attrition as things went from bad to worse with the season going on. And of course, when we look back at the 2021 season, for the Vancouver Canucks, a lot of people will remember the you know the defensive miscues early in the season. The other event, which obviously stands out in a big way, was the team's COVID outbreak in March that forced you know a lot of their games to be postponed. And there's so many different layers to what happened there, but one of the things that will ultimately stand out is, of course, you know JT Miller getting in front of the media and arguing that. They needed more time to be to get ready to get back to playing shape before they took the ice again. You know, they end up beating the Maple Leafs in their return to action, kind of a you know, one of the bright spots of that season to get that feel-good win. But again, it, we continue to just see the kind of cracks in the organization and maybe some of the fracturing of the relationship between the players and between management over the course of that COVID outbreak in March. Well, and, and all the miscommunication that caused Miller to stand up and, and feel the need to say what he said, uh, to vouch for his teammates the way that he did. Um, you know, it was a tremendous act of leadership, but 
the way that the league and the PA saw it, like they were always, the schedule was always conditional based on how Canucks players um, fared when they did baseline fitness testing, uh, you know, which was scheduled anyway for 36 hours later. And I think a lot of the league or a lot of the industry's reaction was like, why don't the players know this? Why aren't they in the loop about the process here that we're not going to put them at risk? And, you know, I thought that was sort of a key point too, which which sort of underlined some of the dysfunction that that had sunk the season and, and that had caused public and, and clearly internal confidence to atrophy as well. Because, you know, for me, again, I remember reaching out to some Canucks players, personnel, and asking for their reaction to JT Miller's comments in the wake of them. Because I was so impressed by the availability, to be totally honest with you. And... I remember I got one text back that I thought spoke volumes, which was, well, someone had to say it, right? Someone had to say it. Yeah. And, and I, 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 I still remember that just because, you know, that someone shouldn't have been JT, but it was. And then the final lasting image as a result of that COVID outbreak of the 2021 season. And this is something that will stick to me just as a sports fan for a long time, just the bizarre experience of the Vancouver Canucks and the Calgary Flames playing out the string so they can say they completed, you know, their scheduled games while the Stanley Cup playoffs are underway and playing these kind of bizarre, don't mean anything in the standings except in terms of lottery odds games, you know, earlier in the day because you don't want to conflict with the playoff games that are happening that night. It's it's the kind of thing that I think we'll look back on in years to come and just kind of shake our heads. I can't believe that really happened. It's truly one of the stranger experiences I can remember following sports. Well, and it was the first time in history that it ever happened, and it was very odd. And and you know, to top it all off, right, adding to just the dysfunctional incentives uh, around the club at the time, right? The club's like playing win now lineups in these games, they end up costing themselves four or five spots, you know, at the draft by winning. I think it's four of their last five, all of which were played after the postseason had already begun, right? They're, they're playing these games. They're playing out the stretch. They're playing win now hockey because they've got a coach who doesn't have a contract, right? Costing themselves draft position when there's no purpose to do so. And it was just wild. You know, yeah. I mean, there is a world where the Canucks lose out, um, not not maybe intentionally from a player's perspective, but at least you, you have the organizational alignment to be like, hey, let's put every young guy we have in the lineup. Like, oh, you, you're at all banged up? Sit, bud. Like, <laughs> top four defensemen? Yeah, you're, you, you watch this one. Like, don't worry about it. Um, they didn't do that. And, and, I mean, that's the difference between a ninth overall pick, which you end up trading for Ekman Larson and and Connor Garland and, you know, a William Eklund or a, or a Kent Johnson, right? I mean, truly, that's the difference. That's the, that's the sort of um, sliding doors scenarios that you bump into because of the way that the club was positioned uh, dating into the end of last season. And that's how that season wraps up. And then, you know, again, we talked about just the incredible amount of stuff that has happened in this calendar year to the Vancouver Canucks, and you gave it a, l- a little foreshadowing there. They go into the offseason, and they made some massive, massive franchise-altering decisions. Now, there were some smaller ones 
around the margins as well. You know, Nate Schmidt traded out after only one season with the Canucks. Braden Holtby and Jake Vertanen bought out. As you said, Adam Gaudet leaves the organization. But the highlight really is that massive, massive deal with the Arizona Coyotes that sees Connor Garland and Oliver ekman Larson join the Canucks. Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel, and the ninth overall pick go the other way to Arizona, plus some other draft considerations involved there. And, you know, credit to Jim Benning because he said going into that offseason that, he, you know, he was going to be aggressive, he was going to be bold, and he found a way to completely reshape the makeup of the team in just, you know, one of the more complex moves I can recall the Canucks making. Yeah, I mean, it's an $85 million asset. Like, it's a the valuation of the assets in that deal is $85 plus million. Like, it's a massively complicated trade. Yep. Maybe one of the most complicated in the history of the league. Um, so yeah, no, I, it was, you know, and, and it was a trade, like it's going to be fascinating to see how it ages because in the first few months, both players have performed exceptionally well for Vancouver. And yet because of what it's done in terms of tying up cap space and, and positioning this team, and because the team has to this point been what the 23rd or 24th best team in the league, you know, it's, it's not a deal that made sense yet. And yet, you know, we'll see how this club sort of performs here under Bruce Boudreau and what comes next, because you do like the pieces that Vancouver acquired, even though the cost to the overall flexibility that the the organization's looking at and dealing with and working through, uh, not to mention their their actual quality, not to mention yeah. what it what it brought in terms of the hollowing out the prospect depth even further and the fact that the Canucks will still surrender an additional second round pick in that trade this year um you know the 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 first blush of it is that that deal didn't make sense and in fact made this roster awfully difficult to untangle um even despite the fact that Garland and Ekman Larson have played well I want to rewind just a little bit Jamie because you know the the question marks around this team lasted right through it right through that that end of the season like do you remember that weekend there was that weekend in may where people were like jeff Cortnell is a candidate yep. to be the president of canucks hockey operations and it was like what what are we talking about and ultimately of course the organization decides to stick with benning extend travis green those are fateful decisions for sure and also, of course, brings in the Sedin twins, Henrik and Daniel Sedin, back to the organization into hockey operations roles. And that's uh, that's sort of a detail that we shouldn't miss just because that could be, you know, a hugely impactful uh, franchise, like franchise altering decision in the years to come, depending on, you know, how and where the twins fit in to shaping the future of this club. And then fast forward to the beginning of the season this year. Well, and we, I mean, you know, we're running a little late on time here, Dranson, but we do just have to touch on the fact that, of course, one of the dominant stories over the summer and going into training camp for the Canucks was the fact that Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes needed new contracts and that those negotiations mm. dragged on and, you know, caused both players to miss the start of training camp, but eventually get done. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Training camp was a very, very interesting moment because it wasn't until training camp that we realized that the ramifications of the COVID outbreak would continue into this season with Brandon Sutter uh, suffering yep. long COVID symptoms. And he still has yet to practice or play for the team this season. Um, you know, just devastating for, for an athlete that age and who's worked that hard to be in peak condition, right? And had a chance to play like 
play a role for a team slotted at the right contract value, right? Where he really could have rewritten his story in this marketplace. Um, and then you get into Hamnick's mysterious absence. You get into Justin Bailey not being able to get across the border. Um, you get to Hughes and, and Pedersen not being present at camp. Uh, Brady Keeper breaks his leg, uh, just a freak accident uh, during during practice, um, during the end, like toward the tail end of a training camp session. Uh, and as this all sort of unfolds, you know, in retrospect, a, a dark portent for what lay ahead for the Canucks as the 2021-22 season kicked off in October. And as we get into more recent history, looking back at the year that was for the Canucks here on Canucks Hour, you know, it's easy to forget now, but they had like an, an okay start on the road to start the year, right? They come home and and they looked lifeless, I think is the best way to put it. And it was different than the previous season because it wasn't about just the kind of defensive miscue after defensive miscue and seeing crooked numbers put up against you every night, but it just... It felt in some ways the same because the frustration from fans and the frustration that was visible from the players was just impossible to ignore. And again, we're getting into, you know, relatively, I know it feels like a lot has happened, uh, but we're only talking about a few weeks ago at this point. But ultimately, it reaches that breaking point on December 4th in the game at Rogers Arena against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And the the indelible image will be the jersey being thrown on the ice and what that seemed to indicate was coming and then eventually what did come down from the Canucks shortly thereafter. Yeah, the, you know, it, and it, I mean, wholesale changed, right? Six front office or and coaching staff members uh, are fired in the wake of that game. And, you know, Bruce Boudreaux, Jim Rutherford in. Uh, you know, very, very high profile, like the best candidates that yep. the Canucks or certainly the most credible candidates that the Canucks could have brought in to write the ship um, uh, took an awful lot of salesmanship on the part of ownership to land people with that level of credibility uh, on the term that they were given, you know, three, three years for Rutherford two with one only one guaranteed for Boudreaux. That's not a significant investment necessarily i mean it is like don't get me wrong i'm not trying to downplay that investment i'm just saying those were favorable terms for the team um as the club scrambled and moved direction and and you know it was a process that occasionally looked haphazard from the outside especially as you know it was clear for weeks in advance that travis green was going to be replaced in at some point and in some manner um, and it, I think it become increasingly apparent that management needed to be replaced as well. Uh, and yet it dragged out to a point where there was this public expression that this is in fact unacceptable before the changes ultimately happened. And then when they happened, of course, Rutherford came a week after Boudreaux yep. and there was some confusion stemming from that. Um, but there's no question that the club landed excellent people to lead them forward. And, and that sort of gets us to this point where for a year that I think should be and will be looked at as one of the darkest tw like calendar year stretches in Canucks history. Um, you know, up there probably with um, pro like the t the tail end of the Orca Bay era where, or not the tail end, the middle part where, yep. you know, Burray holds out and on and on, right? Like where there was just unmitigated darkness uh, in, I think it's 1997, right? With, with the exception of that year, like this is up there for one of the darkest calendar stretches in Canucks history, and yet it ends with a tremendous amount of optimism, the Canucks having won six in a row. And, you know, yes, there's COVID uncertainty. Yes, there's 
there's still a lot of ground to make up in a playoff race, but with Boudreaux and Rutherford in charge and the club performing to its capabilities finally, I think we sort of leave this season with, or leave this calendar year anyway, with the hope that perhaps 2022, and I'm not going to say will be their, their year, but will be a better year, a brighter year for the franchise and its fans. Well, there's no doubt about it. And really, you know, over one overnight, but also in the span of a few weeks, the team has completely changed the tenor of the conversation, completely changed the mood from fans, and really ushered in a wave of optimism. And obviously, a lot of that credit goes to the players for rattling off six wins under Bruce Boudreaux. They're going into the holiday break on that six-game winning streak, still undefeated under head coach head coach Bruce Boudreaux. A lot of the credit goes to Boudreaux himself for getting a new level of effort and a new level of enthusiasm out of these players. And I think you just look, you know, you mentioned the credit, the, the, uh, the level of credibility that Jim Rutherford and Bruce Brujo bring to their positions. And, you know, Jim Rutherford has already had a chance to kind of flex that muscle by leading the Canucks through their latest COVID situation, right. And being a very steady hand on the wheel through a very, very difficult situation. And I, I just think it's, it's been really cool to see how quickly fans have rallied around this team, right? And how quickly they have embraced the team again after, as we laid out, a pretty tough year to be a Canucks fans. There was a lot of things that went against the Canucks. And it's been awesome to see just over the last few weeks, things starting to trend in the right direction and the optimism and the enthusiasm that that has brought out of Canucks fans. It's been a treat to watch. And as you said, hopefully for the fans' sakes, that continues into 2022. We will look ahead to the new year. What's coming up for the Canucks? Can these good vibes continue? Where is the franchise headed over the next 12 months? That's coming up next. You're listening to the holiday edition of the Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to a very, very special holiday edition of the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Drance. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.ca. And Drancer, in the first segment, you know, we did kind of a bullet point, rapid fire look back at the calendar year of 2021 for the Vancouver Canucks. And man, it was eventful and it was frustrating. I mean, just rattling off all of the things that happened, all of the things that went wrong for the Canucks. You know, I was getting a little depressed myself, but as we all know, we got to the end, we get to December and Bruce Boudreaux joining the club, Jim Rutherford joining the club, the six game winning streak unfolding. And all of a sudden, things look a lot differently. Certainly, I mean, the mood amongst the fans that we interact with on a daily basis has completely changed. And, you know, I think it's easy to say to look at the situation and say, oh, well, you know, everything looks better after a six-game winning streak. Let's see what happens when the team loses a couple of games. And that's fair to a certain extent. But I also just look up and down the organization at some of the things that are trending in the right direction, that are going well, you know, Jim Rutherford, the pedigree and the resume that he brings as president of hockey operations, right? The fact that he's going to be in charge of rebuilding and restaffing and reshaping the Canucks front office and really setting what that culture in the front office will look like for years to come. I think that's a reason for a lot of optimism. Bruce Boudreaux being behind the bench. Let's not forget one of the most consistently successful 
regular season head coaches in NHL history. Yes, it comes with the caveat of the regular season, but still, this is a guy who wins an awful lot of games wherever he goes. Then even you get down to the ice. You look at the play of Quinn Hughes. We've talked about him a lot on the show. Phenomenal season he's having. Somebody who could end Mm -hmm. up in the Norris conversation this year. Thatcher Demko continues to establish himself as an elite goaltender in the NHL. Connor Garland has been excellent. You know, JT Miller's doing it down the middle. Vasily Podkolzin establishing himself as a legit player, as a rookie. And I don't want to be naive here because I know, I understand that there are still a lot of challenges and a lot of potential obstacles to get from where the Canucks are now to being a Stanley Cup contender. I completely understand that. I'm very realistic about that. But I don't think this optimism is just the result of a six-game winning streak for the Canucks. I think there are legitimate, tangible, durable reasons for fans to be feeling pretty good about, you know, not just what 2022 holds, but looking ahead beyond that as well. Again, lots of challenges. I'm well aware of that. But it's not as ephemeral as saying, oh, it's just a six-game winning streak might make it sound. I think there are legitimate reasons for fans to be excited about the the direction of this team. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the forward depth, for example, right, which, I mean, at five on five anyway, it's had an impact all season. It's just that it didn't matter when the club was giving up a penalty, a power play goal every game, right? Um, You stabilize the PK, things start to look an awfully lot, an awful lot better. And, And at the end of the day, what this team still has is, you know, two bona fide top, six maybe top line caliber centerman depending on exactly how you know far your mileage goes on Horvat and Pedersen at the moment right but but in those two players you've got two guys that are fringe top line or bona fide top line caliber players even if they haven't well in Pedersen's case has hasn't consistently been at the superstar level we expect from him over the course of this season you've got a franchise defenseman in Quinn Hughes something this franchise has never had in 50 years right and then you've got Thatcher Demko, who is, you know, dominant in stretches and and locked in for a long time on a, on a ticket that looks pretty good, right? As you look at the last eight months of the Benning era and what happened that that you liked a lot, right? That the Demko contract and the Hughes contract are two that sort of stand out as things that will help this team for years to come. And so, you know, there are building blocks for something that could be really excellent. Yeah, a, a lot of it will hinge on exactly how Pedersen's year goes I mean as as much as we talk about 2022 being a dark year for the franchise like it was a tough year for Pedersen when when you consider that we were we're entering 2021 thinking that he was based on what he'd done in the playoffs and what he'd done in the 1920 campaign you know poised to be one of the best centers in hockey and now we're sort of wondering what he can be you know if if there's sort of one Christmas wish, as it were, that that you'd grant the Canucks, it would be for 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 the old Pedersen to show him show himself again and show himself consistently. Yeah, and um, and and I think that'll happen. And I rattled off, you know, a list of on ice guys who are performing really well this year, performing really well recently, and those are reasons for optimism. You know, I didn't mention Elias Pedersen because, as you said, we haven't seen the best of him yet, and as we kind of try to chart the future of the Vancouver Canucks as a franchise and think about, okay, how can they get from where they are to being a legitimate Stanley Cup contender? One of the most straightforward ways for that to happen, or at least something that can be a major contributor to that happening, and I say straightforward in the sense that, you know, it doesn't involve, you know, nailing a third-round draft pick. It doesn't involve 
massively winning a challenge hockey trade with another team or finding a diamond in the rough in free agency. It just involves one of your players taking a big step forward. But I think one of the most straightforward areas of improvement for the Canucks would be you know, Elias Pettersson picking up on that trajectory he was showing over his first two seasons and joining the ranks of the elite centers in the NHL. I, I think it's easy to forget sometimes just how just how much that can elevate a team, right? I mean, we're, we're seeing it with Quinn Hughes, as you said, playing at a franchise defenseman level and the impact he has every time he steps out on the ice there. It's not that long ago where everyone thought that Elias Pettersson was going to be the more valuable piece, right? That he had more upside as an NHL player than Elias Pettersson. So you're talking about potentially getting that kind of impact that we're seeing from Quinn Hughes and even more potentially from Elias Pettersson if he reaches his potential. And again, looking ahead at the next 12 months, as you said, rough year for the Canucks last year, rough year for Pettersson. It's not as simple as, you know, as Pettersson goes, the Canucks go, but the level that he can get back to in 2022 is going to have a massive effect on the future of this team. I'm with you. I think he still has that talent. He still has that drive. He still has has that special ability to be a legit elite center in the NHL. If he does, man, that makes life so much easier for Jim Rutherford and the Canucks going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest question because if you don't have the building block pieces, like if Pedersen and Hughes are not the building block pieces, then the steps you need to take over the course of 2022, for example, to put yourself back on, on the trajectory of potentially winning a cup uh, in the next, you know, we're around this core are completely different than if you have that core locked in and it's just about tweaking the supporting cast uh, as Jim Rutherford sort of charts his path forward, looks ahead to the deadline, looks ahead to what the rest of this year looks like. That's kind of everything. That's, that's the biggest question that he's going to have to answer for himself. Um, you know, in time for March's deadline yeah. before he starts to really put his stamp on this roster. Like that's the question that he needs an answer to. And and what's going to be interesting is how quickly he can make it, especially with all the uncertainty around the league right now with when exactly we'll see the Canucks play again uh, and what the rest of the season will look like. Yeah. And Pedersen, it's interesting because he's one of the biggest factors for whether or not the Canucks will have the type of success they want to have in the near to medium term. But he's not really a player you have to make a decision on, right? Because he's still under no. contract for the two more years after this one. You're riding with Elias Pettersson and, and seeing if he can get back to that level. That's really the only logical decision. You know, there are other players, though, as we all know, on the roster where I don't want to say they're trade candidates because I think that's pushing it a little bit far. But they're guys who, you know, you are going to have to make up your mind about one way or another on a more accelerated timeline. And obviously that's Brock Besser, who's going to be an RFA once again after this season, who has really picked up his game, started to show that vintage Brock Besser shot under Bruce Boudreaux that we hadn't seen in a while. And then it's also JT Miller and Bo Horvat, who will be UFAs, not after this season, but they have one more year beyond that. And those decisions, again, I, I'm not say, I'm not calling them trade candidates, but just they're, peop they're players you have to make a decision about. Those decisions are going to be really key to you know shaping the near future of the Canucks as well. Yeah, fundamental decisions, truly, uh, to use uh, our favorite holiday word. That's right. Um, they uh, they are decisions that will have massive implications for what this team looks like, you know, for years and years to come. And it's going to be fascinating to watch them navigate it. I mean, the the chatter around Besser's contract is only going to heat up from here. Right. I I'd expect that in the first quarter of 2022, that's sort of one of the big 
hot button business topics that we'll spend a lot of time dissecting and that the market will spend a lot of time dissecting, especially in the wake of his lights out performance in the early stages of the Boudreaux era. If that continues, if he remains one of the team's best players or, or certainly one of the team's most consistently dangerous forward the way he was in 2021, right? The way that he, um, you know, in that lockout shortened season and the way that he has been certainly in the month of December again, you know, then it becomes a really high, like a high level item, like a, the headline item that, that will hang over this team is, is what exactly, how exactly do they navigate that? And what does it look like, particularly considering the structure of his deal? Like that to me, when I, when I sort of look ahead to like, what are the top stories that we'll be tracking next year? That yes is right under covid and its continued impact on professional hockey like that's the second item up and and one that i think is going to dominate the imagination and the chattering classes in this market for months to come yeah until there's a resolution one way or another you're right it's going to be a massive story it becomes an even bigger story if he does keep performing the way he has already under bruce boudreau where he looks that like like that legitimate you know terrifying sniper that he can be at his best. As you say, if mm-hmm. he continues to perform like that, okay, maybe it drives the price up. Ultimately, that's a good problem to have. You would much rather have it be a difficult decision because he's shooting the lights out for you rather than have it be a difficult decision because he continues to you know, underperform relative to your expectations. That's going to be something massive to watch, as you said, until there's a resolution one way or another throughout 2022. The other thing that's, I think, you know, in some ways, much more of a near term that we might have some res- resolution on in the next month or so. That's something that's really piques my curiosity is what exactly is the front office going to look like under Jim Rutherford? Who are the names that he's going to bring in? And, you know, we don't need to drill down to the specific candidates right now, but for so long, we were used to a relatively small, you know, really two man show in a lot of ways in Jim Benning and John Weisbrod. And the early returns for Jim Rutherford are what the what the hockey operations department is going to look like under him is probably going to be substantially different than that well and the the organization needs that you need a bigger diversity of voice of voices but also of perspectives i i do think that in a, a contemporary hard-capped league like the nhl like you need a big tent you need a collaborative dynamic front office structure and and i think that's particularly important for Rutherford whose best work came in years when his Penguins front office was extraordinarily well staffed with future GMs and future AGMs and some of the top executive talent in the sport you know I think the fact is is that as the years went on in Pittsburgh and his circle got tighter uh, the decision making wasn't quite as crisp, right? They weren't hitting home runs on every single pitch they saw the way that they did in the first half of his Penguins tenure on his path to building a back-to-back Stanley Cup champion. So, you know, it's an ex- it's an exceptionally large question, particularly for this executive, who I think fares best when he's got as many inputs as he can. And so we're expecting perhaps a, a non-traditional hire yep. at the executive ranks in terms of a woman, an up-and-coming woman executive in the sport. I think that's a great thing for hockey. I think that's a great thing for this organization should they land the right candidate. Um, we're expecting a senior director level higher in the analytics sphere. Uh, you know, that's something that this team needs for sure. Um, more of, like a lot more of uh, across the board, even though I, I do think their analytics department has been pretty well integrated, historically speaking, with 
coaching and, and amateur scouting in particular, uh, finding an, another senior voice to advocate for progressive viewpoints within hockey. That's going to matter a ton. Um, and it's going to matter a ton too, to bring in, you know, additional amateur scouting expertise, right? Because that's what you're losing having lost Judd Brackett in 2021. And then Jim Benning in 2020, like later in 2021, um, sorry. So Brackett left in 2020. Yes. Um, having lost those guys in back-to-back years, you know, that's two pretty highly regarded scouting eyes. I do think finding, you know, a, an additional director level or above voice who specializes in that arena is going to be absolutely crucial for the club as well. And finally, you get back to contracts and cap management. Um, and, you know, that's, <laughs> those are areas where the Canucks have had losses too. They're going to have to rebuild that part of the organization as well. And as you say, the thing that jumps out to me, Drance, is that, you know, as you said, you think a, a large, you know, robust front office is kind of key for Jim Rutherford. And what stands out to me is that he seems to agree with you, right? From everything we've heard when he's talked to the media so far, everything we've heard from reporting from insiders is that Jim Rutherford is looking to, you know, bring in as many different smart, sharp voices as he can to be part of the process in the front office. And I think even back to the fact that, you know, as we heard from Jim Rutherford at his introductory press conference, you know, he was offered the GM job and he pushed to be the president, right? To be the president and interim general manager and then go looking for his own general manager and go looking for the assistant GMs down the road. So he obviously wants to build that. He doesn't want to be the only guy running the show, the only guy with a voice in this situation. He wants to build exactly what you're describing, where you have a bunch of different smart people who can help guide the ship, even if it is ultimately Jim Rutherford, the one making the decisions. And I think how clearly he's prioritized that already in his short time in Vancouver is very heartening for Canucks fans. Absolutely. I think it's vital. And, you know, I think consistent, too, with the way that Rutherford has gone about everything in his first sort of portion of his work in Vancouver, which is with uh, just a high level of competent professionalism, right? Just like an extraordinarily high level of that in terms of how he's communicated, in terms of some of the names that he's targeted, in terms of how he's described the front office taking shape underneath his leadership. You know, I think we've seen just this like refreshing, unsexy, unadorned competence from yep. Rutherford. And if that's the sort of watchword, if that's a consistent theme that we're going to continue to see from him, as as he you know continues to get his feet wet in Vancouver uh, that's nothing but positive for this organization and, and its fans and that competence might be the ultimate reason for optimism for Canucks fans going into 2022 uh, we've got a few more minutes left in the show here Drancer and I know you've got a special treat prepared for us you're a very multi-talented guy of course you do fantastic work covering the team for the athletic you're a Canucks insider you know, you've been known to uh, ruffle a few feathers on Twitter from time to time. You're a radio host. And I also understand you're you're a bit of a poet on top of that. And you've prepared a poem. <laughs> you've prepared a poem for us to kind of I look have. back and summarize the year that was for the Vancouver Canucks. So I cede the floor to you, my friend. Yeah, well, so to let our listeners know, this is our last show of the 2021 calendar year. So... We will be back in the new year, and we're excited to do that. I, I've been so blessed to share the airwaves with you, Jamie, and to and to hang out 
on a everyday basis with the, with the listeners at 650. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for big things from us in the new year, but I did want to leave everyone with a little holiday poem from me. All right. You ready? Go for it. This is probably a bad idea, but I'm going to do it anyway. All right. Twas the night before Brucemas and all through Rogers arena fans were looking for who to boo blame and subpoena. The losing had gone on too long. The whole year felt unholy dating back to January when downtown Vancouver became owned by Tyler Toffoli. It came to a head that night as a third alternate Jersey blue stick and rink was tossed to the ice surface, which made ownership think yes, the Aquilini's all nestled alone in their suite. New change had to come, had to be thorough and neat. It had to go beyond the coach. The club needed new management of that. The fans calling for jobs had been quite adamant. When the game ended, Francesco made a flurry of calls and asked Dan Smeal to get more involved. He called up Jim Rutherford and said, GM or president, take your pick. But Rutherford responded, neither, not yet. I'm far too sick. He asked Boudreau to take the job to put on his blunt bowers. Bruce said yes and heard back, my private jet will be there in three hours. And from Elliot Friedman's Twitter feed, there arose such a clatter as the first tweet went out, alerting fans to the matter that Bruce was coming to try to set things right and to get the Canucks' struggling young players to stop playing tight. He'd put the young stars on the PK and stop matching lines and get the club attacking off the rush nearly all of the time. And it worked. It was fun to see the Canucks play at such tempo. Plus, scoring chances against don't matter when you employ Thatcher Demko. Bruce was jovial and open, spreading hope before it perishes, while joining Ryan Whitney as the only guy that hates hearing Bruce, there it is. More rapid than antigen tests, the results came quickly. The Canucks reeled off six in a row, with Boudreaux calling them by name. On Bo, on Hoggy, on Garland and Miller, on that guy, Lammy, I think his name is, on Petey Hughes and Besser. But no sooner had the team's fortunes changed and exploded than the season once again got waylaid by COVID. We'll see what's next after Christmas from Bruce and his charges and keep arguing over everything on Canucks Twitter regardless. So let's end the Canucks holiday rhyme before we court too much derision with our one Bruce Miss wish. We never want to see an all-Canadian division. Wow. Wow, Drancer. I had no idea. I had no idea that I was working with somebody that multi-talented. You know, if if things don't go right for you ever in the uh, in the sports media business, you've got a career as a a beat poet ahead of you, I think. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I like oh, that. Yeah. That was fun. That was Trade fun. one lucrative career for another, yes, James. <laughs> exactly. The two the two most stable and lucrative professions around. Sports writer <laughs> poetry and poetry. And poetry yeah. yeah. No, but that was fantastic, man. And thank you for sharing. Bring a bring a little uh, a, a smile to everyone listening here as we wrap up, as you said, you know, look, we, again, considering everything that's happened, I mean, we haven't even been on the air together for three months yet, Drance, but it's been a blast doing it. I want to say thank you to everyone who's listened, everyone who's interacted with the show. We really do appreciate it. The support and the feedback has been fantastic. I can't wait to get back at it in the new year. Just as a note, if you do Enjoy the work we do. If you do like what we're putting out here, please do subscribe to the podcast. You can hear it all the time on demand. Spotify, Google, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps the show. It makes a big difference. But again, to everyone who's listened, to everyone who's taken the time to you know say thanks or be a part of the show or even just text in a question or a comment, it means a lot to us. 
The Canucks are in the middle of their break. We're going to take a little break as well. Again, to all the listeners, I'm wishing you a, a safe and happy holidays. Merry Christmas if you celebrate. A happy new year as well for myself and Drancer at the Canucks Hour. We will be back in January to keep you locked in on all things Canucks. Thank you once again. This has been the Canucks Hour on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.